Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, thanks so much for joining us here on episode 62 of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. And I'm once again excited to share with you a very cool guest. It's Dr. Michelle Reyna, and she is going to be talking about trust building. So if there's a little bit of a gossiping or back talking showing up in your workplace organization, you're going to learn just how dangerous that is and, and what can be done about it. So you're going to learn one, the three key components that define a relationship of trust. Two, what trust and untrusting behaviors look like in practice, and three, what you can do to identify trusting relationships and develop the ones lacking in trust. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep62. Or if you just like those takeaways faster, sign up for the Gold Nugget email list over at awesomeatyourjob.com where you'll receive those summary insights from Dr. Michelle Reyna and the other 61 guests and every guest to come in a handy email you can read in under two minutes. So here's a quick bit about Michelle. Dr. Michelle Reyna and Dr. Dennis Reyna are the co-founders of the Reyna Trust Building Institute, are leading authorities on helping leaders build, rebuild, and sustain trust to produce business results. Over the last 17 years, their research and consulting practice has supported such organizations as American Express, Boeing, Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, Toyota, Walt Disney World, U.S. Army Chaplaincy, U.S. Department of Education, Johns Hopkins Medical Center, Harvard and Yale Universities, and many, many others. Their best-selling work, Trust and Betrayal in the Workplace, won the 2007 Nautilus Book Award and the 2008 Axiom Book Award. Rebuilding Trust in the Workplace was awarded the 2011 Axiom Book Award. Here's Michelle. Michelle, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hi, Pete. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you know, I'd love to hear maybe if you could start us off, get us a little bit warmed up by sharing, you know, when it comes to this trust building stuff, maybe a real life example. So we know what you're, you're saying when you talk about trust of maybe how a team was in a maybe not so great place and, and how you intervened and, and what happened to that team afterwards. Sure. I'd love to, you know, a, a story that initially comes to my mind when you ask that question is a story of a team that runs the operations center for a very large global airline. And at the time that I first met them, the team had a, a very significant IT initiative that was dramatically behind schedule. And when something like that is behind schedule, it has some pretty significant cost implications. And the team just, you know, they were stuck, Pete. They were not operating at their best level. Every single person of the team was highly skillful and capable and talented. But when they came together, they were having a hard time collaborating and working in alignment. And rather than functioning at their highest level of capability, the, the lower common denominator had become the norm. So at the onset, the first step that the team took is they all had to make the decision that they were going, going to go to work on trust. And when a team makes the decision to go to work on trust, they're really making the decision to go to work on strengthening their relationships with one another. Because, you know, trust is about our work in relationship with one another. So the decision to go to work on trust meant that together we're going to learn about trust. And this team rolled up their sleeves 
and they engaged in a series of working sessions that were co-led with their leader. That's how serious they took it, that leadership actually got involved and participated in the process of helping the team to become more aware of what trust meant and what behaviors actually contributed to trust and how how did team members practice these behaviors that supported healthier levels of trust? So their first step was to learn about trust conceptually, was to get on the same page in terms of what it meant. And they learned a model of trust. We have a model that's called the three dimensions of trust. So they learned a model of trust and they equipped themselves with the language to be able to talk about trust. And they learned core behaviors that built trust and then they took the bold step, Pete, of actually assessing how they were practicing those behaviors with one another. And that requires quite a bit of courage to take the concepts of trust and lift them off the pages and to put them into action and then take a courageous, honest assessment of how we are practicing these behaviors in our work with one another. But what that did for this team is it helped them to do two important things. One is it helped them to identify their strengths and to hone in on what they were already doing well that supported teamwork and collaboration and trust. And then it helped them to pinpoint very specifically the behaviors they needed to go to work on together. And they made commitments and they formulated agreements and they rolled up their sleeves and they went to work in learning how to strengthen those behaviors with one another. And as a result, the whole level of trust within their team increased and they were able to deliver that major IT initiative on time and within budget. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And, and so, and since we didn't use their names, I guess we could dig in a little bit. So, so what yeah. would be an example of maybe a, a non-trusting behavior or norm they had going on at, versus sort of the, the new behaviors that happened afterwards? Yeah, no, great question. When there were breakdowns in collaboration, when people didn't have the information that they needed, when they were disappointed or frustrated with one another, these were issues or concerns that got dealt with in back-channel conversations. So there was a fair degree of talking about one another behind their back, going to the boss and complaining about one another, making a lot of false assumptions or accusations of one another, pointing their finger at one another, blaming one another. And what began to turn around is when there were breakdowns or there was disappointment or letdown or frustrations, team members made an agreement and a commitment to learn how to go to one another directly and to put their issues on the table in front of one another and to learn how to work those through and use feedback as a tool, not as a weapon to make each other wrong, not as a weapon to judge or criticize criticize one another, but feedback as a tool to support one another to grow and develop. So the area of feedback in the area of working through frustrations and disappointments together was one specific area that they went to work on. Oh, cool. Thank you. We're going to be using the word trust building a lot. So maybe could yeah. you offer a definition of that? And you mentioned three dimensions of trust. What are those and how do those work together? Oh, sure. Well, th there are three dimensions of trust. We often refer to them as the three C's because all three dimensions begin with the letter C. The first is trust of character. And what that means, Pete, in our relationships with one another, we build 
the trust of our character. When we do what we say we're going to do and we keep our commitments, we honor our agreements and we all understand what is expected of one another. And when those behaviors are at place, we're building that trust of character. You know, another dimension is trust of communication. And we're all building trust of communication. And that's present when we're open and honest in our communication with one another. You know, that sense when you're in a meeting or you're in a conversation with one another and you kind of get this feeling that somebody's holding back, right. that, you know, there's another opinion or a point of view that they have, but you can sense there's something they're not saying. Or you can sense that somebody may be telling you or telling others what they think you want to hear rather than what is really their point of view. Or I think we all are familiar with the the presence of gossip. You know, what happens in organizations when people are talking about one another rather than directly to one another. Those are examples of things that cause the trust of communication to break down. But trust of communication is that second dimension is high when those channels of communication are open and honest and people feel safe to try new things and take risks and make mistakes and admit them and learn and grow and develop from them. And then the third dimension we call the trust of capability. And that's built, that's earned when we lean in on and leverage and utilize and recognize one another's skills and abilities and knowledge and, and core gifts and strengths and talents and involve one another. And, and think about it, Pete, you know, when, when you're in working relationships with people and somebody asks your opinion for something or involves you in a decision, how does that feel for you? Oh, sure. It's good. I mean, so long as it's not a huge request, it takes all my time. But if they think, <laughs> if they think I'm really smart and have something to offer, I say, well, well, thank you for asking. You know, I'm, I'm glad to tell you. It's an acknowledgement. And when we acknowledge others, we're building trust in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we call it trust building because it, it is a process of building and we're building trust when we are setting clear intentions for ourselves, when when we're getting internally grounded in our intentions for showing up in our relationships with others. And we're thoughtful and we're mindful and we're conscientious in our behavior because that that's what builds trust in relationships is the way we show up and we behave. And it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time deal. We're building trust day to day in all of our interactions with the people that we work with. And, and by the way, those that we live with because it's, it's trust building in all facets of our lives. And it's, it's one of the things that actually brings me the greatest amount of joy and satisfaction in my work with people is when they say to me that what they've learned about trust building has helped and supported them in their relationships at home as much as with their relationships at work. Oh, that is good. Thank you. Okay. Well, so now I guess I'm curious that that, that feels good, you know, trust mm-hmm. seems warm and pleasant. And you had a, a cool case study with the IT folks, but I imagine from time to time, you bumped into some folks who are like, oh, this is all touchy-feely. I don't, I don't want to, I don't like this. So could you maybe link a bit some of the, the results associated with having higher trust really does mean 
higher performance? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll return to um, the example that I used a little bit ago about the team at the operations center of a large airline as they continued on their trust building journey because they continued to focus on learning how to strengthen the way that they behaved with one another and strengthening their relationships. And several months down the road, they moved into a whole strategic planning initiative for their next next budget cycle. And they estimated that the gains in efficiency and effectiveness as a result of them having taken trust to a whole new level resulted in a $1 million savings in their strategic planning efforts. Oh, excellent. So it is, you know, this whole aspect, you you asked me, gosh, you know, do people ever say it's touchy-feely all the time? I'll never forget a conversation that I was having with a surgeon. And this gentleman was a, a very, very well-known surgeon and expert in his field. And he also happened to be the CEO of a very large, well-known academic medical research center. And so when you think about a surgeon, this this is work that is very tangible. I mean, talk about very hands-on. And I'll never forget the day he said to me, you know, I used to think that trust was very touchy-feely and was the soft side. I've now come to understand it really is the hardest part of leadership. It is the hardest part, and it is the part that will drive the greatest results. Okay. Strong endorsement there. Cool. And I think I'm recalling, so Jocelyn Davis back in episode seven did some work with the Forum Corporation, and Mm -hmm. and they kind of determined that, in, in fact... Organizations who want to like sort of go fast in terms of like mm-hmm. get a lot of stuff done and produce a lot of output really did have high trust and had to invest in in getting there first. Is there more kind of research or data along those lines that you're you're, you're well familiar with? Yeah, absolutely. And there's specific examples and additional you know results that I can offer. It, it is about um, how does trust create greater efficiency and speed and effectiveness, and and also how it supports the health of the culture in supporting change and transition. So, as an example, there was a manufacturing plant that we began working with, and this was a manufacturing plant that was part of a 12-plant network. And when we began working with them, their production volumes were below standards. They, They had talented people and they had a committed workforce, but they were not aligned and on purpose and their their volumes were below standard. The leader, the leadership team, and and eventually engaged all members within within this very large plant. They went to work on strengthening their relationships and building trust and connecting trust building to you know expectations and performance and standards and how they worked together. And to make a very long story short, a year and a half later, Pete, they had moved from the lowest producer in that 12-plant network to the number one producer in that 12-plant network. And it's, it's an example of what happens when trust is present. Everybody rises to their highest level. There's that jazz. There's that vibe. There's that can-do attitude that just produces very significant results. And when trust is vulnerable or broken, you know, that lowest common denominator becomes the norm. Everything becomes harder and results do suffer. Mm-hmm. Okay, understood. So I guess I'd love to hear maybe some 
additional clarity in terms of what maybe some asset tests or ways we can see, okay, do we have trust here? Do we have no trust here? Do we have a medium amount of trust here? So, so you have some assessments. Can you tell us, you know, what are some telltale uh, signs or indicator? You said something about gossip. You said something about feedback. What are some of the others? It's very interesting. I just had a conversation before this conversation with you. I just had a conference call. And one of the things that the leaders on this call were talking about as kind of an acid test indicator that there may be some work to do, it's it's about how do people deal with disappointment? How do people deal with expectations that are not met? Do we tend to assume the worst? Do we tend to jump to the conclusion when we're quick to assume the worst or move into judging or blaming or finger pointing? That's a sign that trust is vulnerable. When people are withholding information, are not highly responsive to one another, it's a sign that trust is vulnerable. When mistakes are made, you know, what happens when a mistake is made? I remember working with an organization where the CEO had asked us to help him understand why their R&D efforts were, were behind schedule and so sluggish when he had this talented group of people. So how is that possible that we have these amazing people that are so knowledgeable, but our, our R&D efforts are sluggish? Well, in that organization, when people tried new things and made a mistake, they felt that they were looked down upon. So when we don't feel it's safe for us to make some mistakes or we don't feel it's safe for us to be human and to misstep from time to time, that's an acid test that trust is not present. Because when trust is present and we make mistakes, we catch one another. We back one another up. We help each other learn and grow and benefit from those mistakes. You know, another acid test is, you know, that whole aspect of who are we looking out for? When trust is present, people are focused on what they can do to help one another, how we can help each other to be successful, how we can help one another advance and achieve our goals and objectives. When trust isn't as present, People are more focused on themselves. They they tend to be a bit more self-serving and they may be carrying and holding their own agenda. And there's a bit more of that attitude or that stance of what's in it for me versus what can I do to be in it with you and for you. Mm, gotcha. Thank you. Sometimes it's very subtle. Pete, sometimes it's not so subtle, but there's an energy and a feel and a vibe when trust is present. And there's a different energy and tone and a vibe when it's not. And so I'd like to hear if some folks are, are listening, they're thinking, huh, I recognize some of the not trusting indicators there in my environment, in my workplace. I mean, other than hiring a consultant like you, you know, what, what are some of the, the steps that professionals can take sort of day in, day out uh, to, to, to build trust or to address a lack of trust? Well, I think that the first step is that we can all tune into ourselves. The first step is we, we can all tune into our own outlook, our own attitude. So as a specific example, quite often any of us can be waiting for another person to take the first step. We might be looking for how another person may show up, what actions they may take, what comments they may behave, and we may be considering, gosh, can I trust them? So the first step we can take is to tune into ourselves and to consider and to know, 
that trust actually begins with each and every one of us. Trust begins with me. Trust begins with you. So it begins with our attitude, our outlook, our beliefs, and our own behavior. So the first step is to grow in our own awareness and to reflect on our own behavior and to consider and honestly check in with ourselves. How is my behavior aligned with trust building? How am I managing my agreements when I commit to something and I'm not able to deliver? How do I respond? Do I pick up the phone and call the individual and say, hey, I got thrown a curveball and I'm behind schedule and I know I promised to get this to you by five o'clock and I'm having a hard time making that. Can we renegotiate? How honest are we are in terms of expectations and, and what others are expecting of us and what they can expect from us? So there is that aspect of how it begins with us, Pete, and our own awareness and our own behavior. So that's the first place that I would encourage people to go. In terms of tools and resources, we've got a, a book that I would love for people to be able to tap into. It's written for them and full of tips and tools that people can utilize. So so there's a self-directed aspect that each and every one of us can take in building trust in our life and our relationships. Oh, that's great. Thank you. And maybe what are some of the, the watch outs or mistakes that maybe we, we make, perhaps even unknowingly, that, that damage trust? I think in some ways, activities like gossiping is, is kind of clear. Oh, don't do that. That's going to diminish trust. But what are some other things that maybe we don't even realize we shouldn't be doing? I think that... A big one is for us all to be aware of when we may tend to sweep things under the rug. So you've heard me mention a couple of times the word agreements, and you've heard me mention expectations, and you've heard me talk about decisions. Those are just a few of the behaviors. You've heard me talk about feedback. The vast majority of time that trust is broken, it's when there have been small, subtle infractions that are unintentional. We may forget to include somebody in a conversation, or I might forget to ask somebody's uh, point of view on a particular decision, or or I forget to CC them on an email and it was important for them to be in the loop. It's really important when we recognize that, oh, there's been a misstep. Oh gosh, I dropped something off or, oh gosh, I forgot to follow up or I'm behind on, de on a deliverable. Rather than sweeping those under the rug or ignoring them and excusing them away, we take a huge step towards building trust when we just simply acknowledge it and put it out there on the table and redirect it. Mm, okay. Very good. Thank you. And you mentioned feedback a couple of times. Are, are there any kind of particular perspectives, guidelines, tips for delivering feedback in a, in a positive way that builds trust? Yeah, there are actually. And, and the first begins with doing our own inner work, kind of getting ourselves ready. So in giving feedback, because feedback can be challenging for any of us. You know, we, we all can feel a little bit awkward when we're going to sit down and give some feedback, or we can feel awkward when we're being asked for feedback or awkward when we're receiving feedback. So in sitting down and, you know, giving feedback, what I often find the most helpful thing to do is first kind of tune into ourselves and set our own intentions and get internally centered and grounded on what are one's intentions 
for providing the feedback. And when our intentions are in the highest, best interest of the relationship in supporting growth and development, that's a step towards building trust. So the first preparation is setting those internal intentions. And then the second, Pete, is I find it really helpful to ask permission to extend an invitation and to let our colleague know that we'd like to have a conversation and and either give some feedback or ask for feedback and ask permission, would they be willing to engage in that conversation? And then to create a, a time and a place, you know, a time that works for both parties and a place, a spatial environment that's conducive for the conversation, that has some privacy and supports the kind of conversation that's going to unfold. And that's a space that may be identified by both parties. And then as the conversation unfolds, I find it helpful to set the context, you know, and, and to further establish why we've invited that individual into this conversation and what they're what we're looking for and to acknowledge that individual and to share what is appreciated about that relationship and then to surface what the issue or the challenge is and the struggle is in a way that can be very specific and provide a specific situation so that it's putting out there on the table what the strain is and what the struggle is and then to identify that as an opportunity that we can work on together and invite this person to brainstorm potential solutions that the two of us can work through together. Okay, good deal. Thank you. Well, well, anything else? Oh, go ahead. And Pete, I find it always in feedback. So in giving feedback, again, you know, there's that setting the intentions, asking permission, setting the context and talking about what the issue and the struggle is and what's hard. There's also, you know, I don't want to lose sight of that piece of acknowledging what works well in the relationship and what one appreciates about the relationship. So there's looking at it from both sides. We're not just focusing on the problem or the struggle or the deficit, we're also acknowledging what is currently there that is appreciated. And in closing a feedback conversation, there's always the gratitude and the capturing of what has been understood and learned and gleaned and the the extension of appreciation. Cool. Well, then, is there anything else you want to make sure that you put out there before we kind of shift gears and go into the fast faves? Oh, I think that trust is such a a cornerstone of relationships and it's something that we all need and we all want and I have this fundamental belief that we all we all deserve it and when it's present we we all know it and when it's absent we all know it and the last I just want to offer is that it does require work Pete it's not something we can ever take for granted. It's something we always need to keep front and center and work on as as part of our approach to life and our, our approach to relationships with other people. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, then, could you share with us perhaps a, a favorite quote? I can. This is actually a Persian proverb that I love. And it's, when it is dark enough, you can see the stars. Oh, that is fun. And how about a favorite study or a piece of research or experiment? There's a recent study that 
my own company has just completed that I'm finding myself really glued to. And what we've identified are, you know, three key behaviors that are most needed for teams and leaders to practice, particularly during change, periods of change and transition. And they're the behaviors that are least practiced. So what we most need are what we are least getting. So I'm, I'm finding myself really steeped in that piece of research. Okay. Could you share with us those three quick bullets? What are they we should do? Oh, sure. Well, the one is when there, when there has been a breakdown or a disappointment or a breach of trust that we need to talk directly with one another about it rather than everybody else. And when there are issues or concerns that the team members are surfacing them directly, those, those are huge. You know, when there's an incident of betrayal, a breakdown of trust, how do we respond and where do we go? And the second is issues and concerns. And the third, you and I have touched on during this call is feedback. And the whole aspect of addressing betrayal and breakdowns of trust and surfacing issues and concerns and utilizing feedback as a constructive tool for growth and development. Those are very powerful behaviors that when they are present, build trust and help to manage change and deepen engagement. And yet at the same time, Pete, these are the behaviors that in our study with over 120 teams and over 500 leaders are the least practiced. I see. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. And how about a favorite habit, something that you do that's boosted your effectiveness? You know, I meditate. I have found that to be invaluable, a daily practice of meditation. And and off and on, I'll take little mini pauses throughout the day and do a mini meditation. Um, sometimes it may be one minute or three minutes, but I find that to be invaluable for me. Thank you. And how about a, a particular you know, gem or nugget or quote, something that you share that really has your clients sort of resonating and, and taking notes and responding. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's something we've chatted a little bit about, but it's, uh, you know, trust begins with you. Okay. Okay. Trust, trust begins with you. And when I say you, I mean me, you, any of us, that it begins with us taking that first step. Trust begins with each and every one of us. Okay. And what would you say would be the, the best way to find you if folks want to learn more or reach out? I would say our website, which is at www.reinatrustbuilding.com. All right. And do you have a final sort of a, a challenge or a parting call to action for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I do. You know, we've talked about building trust in in the way we think, you know, our attitude, our outlook and our behavior and how we show up and our relationships with other people. My not so much as a challenge as much as an encouragement and it's under that umbrella of trust begins with you. I would really like to encourage those who are listening to our conversation to trust in themselves. And as they deepen that trust in themselves to know that they are in turn deepening their trust and relationships with others. So it really would be trust in yourself. Oh, fun. Thank you. Oh, Michelle, thanks so much for, for this. This has been uh, really interesting and eye-opening. And I think that a lot of folks are going to kind of recognize, oh, you know, a little bit of room for improvement in their teams and, and this could make a, a world of difference. So really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Pete. I appreciate being with you. I can see how indeed trust building is some of the hardest work associated with leadership, having some of those tricky conversations about what happened and what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. 
and go in there. Tricky stuff, but uh, well worth it. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep62. And do push subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss our next guest, Dr. Michael Bruce. He's been reshaping my schedule. He's going to be sharing a little bit about the power of when to do everything to be at your effective peak. So he's pulling some insights about your uh, genetic chronotype, your sleep-wake cycles, and and all kinds of implications that have for you and your uniqueness. So you're going to want to check that out. Hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 